So Matrix is a decentralized chat protocol that is end-to-end -end encrypted. It lets users communicate with each other using different clients and even run their own independent chat servers. I think that chat is one of the most natural human interfaces we have. And when I think about AI and virtual consciousnesses, I think that the most likely way that we'll inter interact with them is through chat. And you can imagine that that's kind of like a chat, a very, very controlling chat relationship that I have with my Google assistants. But in a future where AI and, and virtual, you know, consciousnesses are more, well, kind of more thought out, more, more fully featured, I imagine, you know, a much, a very interesting potential conversation that I might have with them. And the underlying infrastructure would probably look a lot like chat. Hey, this is Shree. And this is Will. Welcome to the Technium, where we talk about the edge of technology and what we can build with it. An optimistic look at the road ahead. How is it going? It's going well. How's it going with you, Shree? Not too bad. This is an exciting episode, so we're back again for season three, and uh, we're doing something new this time. We have a guest, Eric Migakovsky. How's it going, Eric? It's good. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be the uh, the first uh, the first guest. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell us uh, a little bit about yourself? A, a quick blurb. Uh, yeah. So I met Shree and Will. What was it ten years ago? Probably. Yeah. It's been when that we, long, hasn't it? We all went through YC together. That was the first time that I went through YC. I ended up going through it again last year. In the intervening years, I worked at, a, at my first startup, which was uh, Pebble, where we made smartwatches. And I had the chance to work with Will at Pebble, of course. After Pebble, I actually went back to YC and worked as a partner there for a couple of years. And then I recently caught the startup bug again and I decided to leave YC to start a new company called Beeper. Nice. Busy. You've been busy in the last decade. <laughs> That's good to have Eric on this week. And so for this week, what are we drinking here? All right. So this week I have this kind of strange drink I picked up at the corner store. It's Vibes, Mood Enhancing Elixir. It has a bunch of random herbs and things in here. So we'll see what my mood will be. Very, on. very Silicon Valley. Yeah. I got some Q Ginger beer here. Nice. Well, I didn't get the memo ahead of time, so I didn't go to the uh, bodega to pick up anything crazy, but I'll, I'll, I'll wait to hear what your reviews are. Cool. All right. Yeah, so I am excited because Eric is on this week to talk with us about Matrix. So Matrix is a decentralized chat protocol that is end-to-end -end encrypted. It lets users communicate with each other using different clients and even run their own independent chat servers. And so Eric is working in the space. So yeah, we're, we're excited. What, what is exciting uh, about Matrix to you, Eric? Well, I personally just have kind of been obsessed with chat for almost all the time that I've spent on the internet. I was just chatting with someone recently and it came, we came up like what our ICQ numbers were. Do you remember what your ICQ number was? Well, yeah, I think it was like 11196716 or something like that. Okay. Wow. It's something like that. I mean, I, I go way back. I remember the ding. I, we used to have a bird growing up and the bird could emulate the sound of the ICQ ding. And whenever the bird did that, I would just like run back to the computer and like check my ICQ. Nice. But I don't know. I, I just, I love the idea of chat because it's, it's such like a fundamental component of what we do online, which is exchange short bits of text with our friends and colleagues and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But what's crazy is that, you know, we're in 2022 now and chat still seems like a somewhat unsolved problem. Well, not, not that it's completely unsolved. It, it's fragmented and there, there are still like large amounts of problems that plague chat users. Um, yeah. I don't know about you, but I have, you know, up until I started, you know, my new company, I had five or six different chat apps, actually probably more than that, installed on my phone at any given time. And I would have a different collection of friends and family and, you know, people on each one of these different apps. Yeah, it's interesting because chat is one of these things that is like a, you know, a perennial sort of space that keeps cropping up every once in a decade or so with a, with a new form, a new avatar but basically the same set of problems. So I think like ICQ and uh, and AIM, AOL Instant Messenger, and maybe MSN Messenger a little bit later yeah. were all part of that, like really, really early part of chat. And then things were getting a little bit fragmented, but I think it was not too bad. And then for a while in the 2000s, I remember there were lots and lots of chat pl platforms. And then there was a little bit of a consolidation effort because a lot of them could start maybe talking to each other a little bit. And there were these there were like- a few. Yeah. I think you're getting to like the 2008, 2009. Yeah. Trilli yeah. Like, do you remember Trillion and Mebo? Yes. Yeah. 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 That was fun. That was yeah. really fun. So that, that was a bit of the golden age of interoperability. When, you know, for, for, for a hot second, there was peace amongst the major platforms. And if you had an account on Google Talk, you could send a message to someone on Facebook Messenger. 
or AIM. Yeah. And there were a few apps like, like Adium and Mebo and, and Trillium where you could log into multiple networks using the same app and just have one single kind of interface for all of your messaging. Actually, I think at the time, this is before iMessage even, and the iChat app on Mac OS would actually let you log into each one of these different services and you could have it all in one, in one client. Does it still, or they took that off? No, definitely not. iMessage? 100% proprietary at this point. Yeah, there, there, was a, there was a brief period of peace, and I think it was very fleeting for, you know, maybe the late 2000s. And then I think coming to the, the 2010s, I think there was a bunch of walled garden chat apps. You know, the biggest one that I think everybody knows is, is WhatsApp, right? And, but there were many others like Viber and a few others as well around that time. And so I think you can trace it back to the shift to mobile. So in 2008, 2009, you know, obviously the iPhone and Android started becoming the default platform on which people, you know, live their lives and there needed to be a mobile, like there was an opportunity for a mobile first chat network, especially for a lot of people who were using a smartphone as their first computer. Like they didn't idle on IRC like we did, you know, back in the day, they, they were, they were using, you know, a, a phone or, or, you know, a tablet as their first computer and WhatsApp emerged as, you know, one of the first um, mobile first networks and they, I guess, never felt the compulsion to interoperate with the other, with the other networks because their users were on mobile to begin with. Yeah. I remember at around that time, there was a couple other ones like Beluga, like group chats was like a really big thing around, I want to say 2012 yeah, and, or something like that. Yeah. Group me around the same time, you know, that's, that popped up as like an SMS. Yeah. A lot of these chat apps were trying to build their network effects and moats of being the go-to chat app for a particular demographic. I remember uh, when I was in college, it, it was all group me, but I think it might've been fragmented by geography, obviously U S versus international. I think that WhatsApp got a lot of traction from being the free messaging alternative in countries where SMS was relatively expensive. So yeah, that, that was sort of the name of the game at that time. And then I think a little later on in the, the like 2015 onwards, there's been like a lot of emphasis on group chat, enterprise chat type of products like Slack is the big one and then discord as well. Yeah. I like to draw the, draw kind of a line between what I kind of call consumer chat and enterprise chat. Though I think maybe a better definition, a more broad definition might be community based chat. So you have personal interactions, usually direct messages or small group chats. This is the iMessages, the WhatsApps, the SMS, you know, telegram to a certain degree signal. And then you have communities like Slack and discord and Reddit and they operate, the, the mode in which you use them are, are actually quite different. And I'd say that, you know, we had forums 10, 15 years ago, but there wasn't like a, a prevalent group chat platform. I guess IRC would have been the uh, the biggest one at the time for, yeah, for larger yeah. communities. Yeah, definitely. I feel like uh, at the time IRC mostly filled that role and it was like specific power type users or like old school users that would be running on IRC otherwise, like or if you grew up in like the, the, the web around the mid two thousands, you probably wouldn't have heard of it because it takes a lot of work compared to most other apps that kind of get on IRC. Right. So I remember, I mean, the first time I used IRC was in high school, mostly to hang out with, I guess, other friends from school, but there were these, there were these bots that would serve binaries. And if you talk to them, like they would send you back movie, fi like AVI files or whatever. Right. 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 Yeah, like, that, that, that's that was all great when you're like a kid in school and whatnot. It's like, oh, for, had, like, shit. I, do you remember like those RAR files where you had to like have RAR one, RAR two or whatever? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess we had, we just had a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the technology kind of shifted and evolved over those years as well. I think mobile again was, was a big cause for, for a shift because up until then, you could afford to be, you could afford to have a persistent connection open to a central server that would manage all of your, you know, all, that would manage your identity online. You could afford to have like a custom client that would interact with a, another chat server. But with the shift to mobile, like obviously it was, you, you couldn't roll your own clients and it was harder to use third-party clients on mobile, mostly because of push notifications. So in order mm -hmm. to get notified when a message arrives, you either have to have a persistent connection to the server um, and be polling it or or whatever to, to detect when you have a new message, or you have to have some sort of push notification system set up. And in the early days, it was, it was pretty hard to set up push notifications and you had to, I think, basically have some money and have some like investment in, um, in the technology to get that working. And so I think there was a big shift away from things like IRC and XMPP, which was an early kind of open source chat protocol 
towards these more centralized platforms because they supported push notifications basically. And there were no open source solutions that, 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 that kind of cleanly delivered push notifications when someone sent you a message. Interesting. Yeah. I, and I think another limitation I recall building mobile apps at that time was that you couldn't maintain persistent connections except for a very limited class of apps because of uh, limitations on, on background processes and things like yeah, that. Yeah. It, it would kill your battery life. If you, I mean, you could open one, but then it would, you know, the, the phone's battery life would just die. So you yeah. had to revert to using this, um, this push notification system. Huh. That's pretty interesting that basically limitations of hardware on mobile had these like reverberating effects throughout the entire uh, architecture of this particular industry so that, you know, you, it ends up killing like these like open protocols for chat. Guys, we're forgetting the king of early chat. How did, how do we forget this? BBM, right? Even before, even before the iPhone, there was BBM and BBM is exactly the story. So I grew up, I, I went to school in Waterloo, which in, you know, Waterloo, Ontario, which is the home of Research in Motion, which is the company that made uh, BlackBerry. And I remember going to school in you know, the mid two thousands and hearing how BlackBerry was just taking off. And at the time there were only two G phone networks and battery life was so important because people were coming from these long lasting Nokia phones that would kind of last for seven days at a time. And no one was really like accustomed to charging their phone every, you know, twice a day as we do now. Right. And so at the time, BlackBerry bragged a lot about how their email, their, their devices would be able to receive emails like instantly. The second you get an email, your BlackBerry buzzes. And with BBM, it was the same thing. They had figured out a way to deliver very small amounts of, of data, you know, chat messages instantaneously without draining the battery too much. Interesting. So basically it sounds like a lot of these limitations, technological limitations, forced the industry in a certain direction, which it continues on today. So where does Matrix fit in? What problems does it solve? So Matrix is a relatively recent entrant into the, into the chat room. I believe it came out for the first time in 2015. It's developed by a foundation out of the UK called, I think they, their, their company name is, is Element. And it's them, I, I'm, I'm, I'll probably butcher the early history, but the company that, that developed it actually came from a VoIP system background. So they were working on uh, VoIP software and had developed like the early foundational parts of Matrix while working on that. And the, there's, there's a bit of tension in the open source chat world because XMPP exists and hmm. there are proponents of XMPP today that are vehemently in disagreement with the idea of matrix because XMPP exists and it's not perfect, but it's an extensible platform and matrix just completely sidesteps XMPP. There's no bit of XMPP in matrix. It's a completely distinct and separate protocol. So, you know, you're both programmers, you know, what it's like to do a complete rewrite, you know, yeah. it's a big investment and you sacrifice some of the, some of the, you know, features and, and, and capabilities that your previous system had, but. XMPP also had some major drawbacks. It was extensible. So what happened was each client and each server could potentially extend the, 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 the protocol and support a different set of features. So the core protocol of XMPP was itself remarkably fragmented. XMPP did not support encryption by default. There were a bunch of modules and, and libraries that you could implement on top of your server and on top of your client in order to support end-to-end -end encryption. But you know how it is, it's. It's, it's hard enough to get your friends on the same chat app, let alone the same module <laughs> and the same kind of like library support that you have on your side. Right. So that led to a lot of, you know, disappointing inter in, kind of disappointing situations in the XMPP world and the matrix folks, you know, learning from 10, 15 plus years of XMPP decided to start fresh and they built um, a new open source chat protocol from scratch. It, you know, embraced encryption. It embraced federation, which means that any, any number of servers can, can chat together. And if you have an account on one server, you can continue to chat with someone who is on another server. Another major difference is persistence. So matrix is designed around the idea that the server that you have an account on will actually maintain a, an encrypted, um, backup of all of the messages that you've received so that if you, you know, and this is not how say IRC worked, like IRC was a relay system. So matrix is, yeah. is, is a. It's more of a storage-based, distributed storage system as well. So do you know if uh, Matrix has subsumed the usage numbers of uh, XMPP or is it kind of like in parallel or something like that? My impression is that it is much larger than IRC as of right now. I, I think, so one, one cool Wait, thing about the Matrix- IRC or XMPP? Oh, sorry. 
definitely bigger than IRC based on the last numbers. I think IRC is at like 70,000 people idling on whatever yeah. the new free node is, like Libera. And I think Matrix is actually, I don't know how large XMPP is right now, so I would probably not be able to say precisely, but I believe Matrix is in the you know, millions of downloads, maybe tens of millions of downloads mm -hmm. and then, or accounts, and then millions of kind of simultaneous users or yeah, daily yeah, because. I, I was asking because I can imagine how salty the XMPP people might feel about that, especially if you feel like you were there, you had the first mover, it's perfectly yeah. fine. It's just that nobody jumped on it. And so do you then do you get a sense of like what it was that attracted people to Matrix? Like what worked with Matrix that didn't work with XMPP? Was it something that you mentioned already that like the space wasn't fragmented or is it that at least on their fact, Matrix like this is more batteries included sort of thing, whereas XMPP is more like bare bones, but then you can do whatever you want with it with the extensible protocol? It's funny to think of Matrix as batteries included because as of right now, it is still relatively hard to get your own Matrix server set up. I remember right. the first time I did set it up like two and a half years ago, there's a, like there's an Ansible chart and you have to, you know, get a server and, and figure out DNS and figure out, you know, how to route things through your firewall and in, in order to set up, you know, your own, they call it a home server, uh -huh. which is a little bit of a misnomer now because most people use the main server, which is matrix.org. But at the time when they, when they started, they were envisioning that people would be able to run their own home server and maintain sovereignty over, you know, all aspects of the data. Um, the vision of all decentralized protocols that people <laughs> would love running their own servers because like even big companies like, like Netflix for a long time, didn't even like running their own servers. It was only recently. Right. So, but yeah, anyways, go, go on. So, so the, it, it took a lot of work to get a server up and running for matrix, but then, then what, what was the, what was the uptake? Like what did people see in matrix that they didn't see in XMP? Again, I'm pro I'm, I, I don't want to offend too many XMPP people because I don't know the, <laughs> the, the perfect kind of history right. there. Um, right. But you're, my you're impression of Matrix history. is that it's it's more community. It, there's more of a community angle, so it, it it learns more from the Slack and Discord kind of stories around having channels and having public channels, having open open channels, having groups of people that are in the same channel. In in general, the the interface is also a little bit more cohesive, like it, they have a, that the matrix, the matrix folks have a perspective, they have an attitude and it shows through in the software. So it's a bit more opinionated, I think. And since they're developing both the server software, as well as the client software and publishing them as open source libraries, it means that first of all, there's a great reference, reference clients that, that you can oh, use to connect into their existing server. And it works quite well. It works much better now than it did two or three years ago, but it's usable and you can you know be part of the network. Quite easily, just downloading and, and running the app. You don't have to run your own server these days. I see. So, so it sounds like there's like a, a lot more momentum, and people like doing things that other people want to do. I, I guess it's it's always more fun with a party, right? <laughs> when there's a party going on, and so it sounds like there's a lot of things that are going right with it. Because like when we do these uh, retro future episodes on the Technium about failed technologies, it turns out that usually it's like a death by a thousand cuts, and so. It sounds like Matrix, once you get something going, it, it, it the positive feedback helps breed other things to, to kind of help well, so it along as well. One of the interesting, interesting things about Matrix is that I wouldn't say that it's one, it hasn't won yet. And I'm uh, I'm working on helping it win. Like I, I'm a long-term proponent of Matrix. And let me kind of frame frame where, where this is going. Like Matrix is an open standard and the, the spec is, is open. So anyone can contribute to the spec. There's a, found, there's a foundation that will guide the spec. You can publish a matrix spec change, which would, you know, then get, would get uptake, uptaken by all the clients and, and servers eventually. This stands completely in opposition to every single other major chat network. Most chat networks today are owned by a large corporation. The ones that aren't, like Signal, are not federated and they're not, they're, they're open sourced, but they are uh, single servers run by, you know, a benevolent overlord. And right. they only allow people who are, you know, have registered accounts on the server to talk to each other. And so Moxie, the, the founder of Signal, wrote a pretty, pretty amazing blog post six or seven years ago now called The Ecosystem is Moving. Definitely recommend checking that one out because it lays bare the proposition between an open source, uh, decentralized, federated chat network and a open source, non-federated, non-decentralized chat network. And he makes, he attempts to make the case that the non-federated chat network will be able to iterate faster on features because it doesn't have the constraints of the, you know, open, open nature of the, the kind of crazy chaotic open nature of a federated system. Yeah. But I think what, what, what's happened over the last few years is that signal has not necessarily accelerated in terms of feature development or capabilities. They have, if anything, become even more narrowly focused on security and privacy with the, ex with the exception of the kind of foray into, uh, crypto, <laughs> they, 
they added something called mobile coin last year to um to the signal Everybody's app. getting the crypto these days. Yeah, did, wasn't there is kick another like uh chat app type of thing and then they like went into crypto and then regulators yeah. like said something and then there's this like we got to get out of this. I think there was something and I think like there was a brief infatuation with crypto in chat app. So that's not the only story, but two or three years ago Telegram also launched oh, the right. biggest ICO in the world. They, they raised $1.6 billion right, for a right. cryptocurrency <laughs> called Ton. And I think that also face planted relatively quickly. Um, I also remember that it kind of goes the other way too. There was a project called Keybase, which started with the idea of decentralized identity, and then they got into encryption, and then they started getting into encrypted chat as well. So there's like, do you know what is the motivation that's driving this overlap between chat and like freedom slash security slash decentralization? Yeah, I think it's very natural. Humans are social beings and we love to communicate. And on the internet, you know, there's for, for you know, most of the time that we've been on the internet, communication has not really been that secure. Email, you know, an open source, open standard for the last 40, 50 years, completely unencrypted. And any attempts to encrypt, encrypt the, the protocol, you know, with PGP or whatever, have been kind of for nothing, right? Like our email is still unencrypted. I have no idea how to send an encrypted email still today. Like you know, it's I, I see the footers on PG, the PGP footers, and yeah, that's how you know it's secure. If if it just says PGP, it's secure, right? Somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But email is an interesting story as well, and so I think we could spend a little bit of time talking about that because email is an open standard. If you have an account on Gmail, you can send a message to someone on Outlook or Yahoo or Hotmail or wherever. That's not the case even for Signal. If you have an account on Signal. You can only send messages to people who are on Signal as well. You can't send someone, you know, on WhatsApp message, for example. Why is email open and chat closed? I think it comes down to my, my, my personal theories is it was open before the big companies got there. Yeah, that, that would have been my guess as well. But, and it was but hard, it's, it's hard yeah. to kind of pull back. Like in the 90s, CompuServe and, you know, the other guys probably tried their damnedest to make it, you know, siloed and, and private. But, you know, open had already was already beating closed. And so for, for email, at least. So it made sense to be part of the larger global email network and, and keep it open. That, then kind of go, circling back to the uh, post made by the Signal founder arguing for like a more centralized role for, for chat than like he's arguing that that can move faster, but the decentralized won't work. In, in reference to what we just talked about, like how is it that Matrix or anything like Matrix would be able to win if everything is kind of tends to converge towards that centralized thing or, or like the, the argument for, for it? So this is kind of where Beeper comes in. Yeah. So tell us about Beeper first. Like what, what is Beeper for those, those of our listeners that don't know what it is? So Beeper is a universal chat app. It means that if you're on Beeper, you can send a message to someone who is on WhatsApp or Telegram or Signal or Twitter or Instagram or you name it. We connect to 15 different chat networks. And so for people who remember Mebo or Trillion or Adium, it's yeah. exactly like that. We sign on. You have your accounts on each of these services, but with Beeper, you have an integrated inbox, a, a unified inbox. So people come to Beeper for simplifying their life. Instead of having 10 different chat apps installed on your computer, you can have a single chat app and talk to anyone you like. We have a desktop app, an iOS app, and an Android app. And we're in kind of like a beta phase right now, just, just out of beta. Um, and it is a paid app. So people pay money. Uh, pay us a monthly subscription to to use the app. One of the reasons why it's paid is, well, I think we're, we're the first people on earth to, you know, in the last 10 years offer a solution like this. So we found that people are willing to pay for it because it yes. you know, makes their life more, uh, more efficient. But I think it also aligns our interests very well with, with our users. So almost every single other consumer chat app is free. And it's kind of nebulous how and why they make money. Most other apps or most other companies use chat as a loss leader in order to make money from some other method. Like Apple gives away iMessage for free in exchange for selling really high-priced phones and devices. Facebook has chat on WhatsApp, iMessage, or Instagram, and uh, Facebook Messenger. How do they make money? Well, they sell a lot of ads. Same thing with Google. Telegram now sell, sells ads in their channels. Signal is a foundation, so you're just left up to the good graces of whoever funds the, the organization. There are, you know, no consumer apps that just straight up charge money. Um, yeah, yeah. And so for those of us that don't want 10, uh, 9 or 10 chat apps, all of which are Electron apps that are eating up for <laughs> CPU, yeah. then, then, you know, this is a good way to go. And also, I think, like, the, the winds have shifted when it comes to, like, consumer web apps that 
people are much more used to paying for stuff now. I mean, the fact that superhuman as an email client can exist is because people are realizing, oh yeah, like I want our incentive to be aligned between like me as a user and the company providing me the product or service. So, so that I, I think people are getting used to that idea as well. So, so it seems like people are trying to align uh, the, yourselves with, with the users that you serve in terms of this uh, direct relation, paid relationship. So this all connects back to Matrix too. When I started Could. working on this, it was actually, there's actually a little bit of a Pebble story back here, Will. So oh, really? remember back in the later days of Pebble, we added a microphone to the watch. Yeah. And we wanted to be able to let people send messages from Pebble from, yeah. by speaking into their watch. And on Android, this was no problem. You know, you could record something, you could do voice to text, and then you could, using the system level APIs, you could send a text message. There were, there was a, you know, there's an Android, there's an Android API for sending text messages. Makes sense, right? Yeah. On iPhone, you can't do that. There's no, <laughs> there's no API for sending a damn text message. And so we were, we were blocked. I think the, we went to some crazy efforts to do, to do like SMS over IP. And we had this convoluted system where you could sign in with your AT&T or Verizon account, and we would send text messages on your behalf, but it didn't connect to iMessage. And anyways, long and short of it is on iPhone, it's basically impossible to get access to any of the messaging APIs. And we looked into it, we, we tried hard. And that thought kind of stuck with me. And I was like, man, it, how come no one's built an API for messaging? How come there's no universal API where I, I want to send a message on behalf of a user on whichever network they're, they're part of? Why can't I just do that? So the idea kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And over the intervening few years, I noticed on, I think it was on Twitter, I noticed this person had made a WhatsApp at the time. I don't know if you're WhatsApp users, but at the time, you could only sign into WhatsApp on one computer at a time. And it would log oh. you out of the other computer when you signed on. It was annoying. I had a desktop computer and a laptop and it would constantly be signing me out of each one. And I noticed on Twitter that someone had published a matrix bridge for WhatsApp. Now, oh. bridging is a really important concept that the matrix people introduced. In 2015, when they started working on matrix, they knew that in order to get people using it, they needed to have a network. They, chat apps are kind of useless if none of your friends are on them. <laughs> and they knew yeah. this, they, they were very smart. So. In the matrix specification, they discuss the idea of a bridge. A bridge in matrix kind of speak is a connection between matrix and another legacy chat network that acts as a bridge. And so if you send a message in a chat room, in a matrix chat room, the same message will be copied and pasted into the other chat network and vice versa. So if someone sends a message into a particular room on WhatsApp, that message would get copied and pasted into the matrix. And so there's this seamless connection between matrix and any chat network. And are these bridges part of the core matrix specification or are these like plugins that people write in? They're plugins. All kinds of stuff? Okay. They're plugins, but they're, they're the, the plugin accesses a core API called the app service API, uh, which is kind of like Discord's bot framework, but specifically designed to do this thing called puppeting. So in order for this to work, I'm in a chat, you know, so say Will and I um, have a WhatsApp chat and I'm using, I'm using matrix plus a WhatsApp bridge. In matrix, I just have a chat with Will. It's seamless. I don't, I, I don't see the bridge. I don't see the puppeting. I don't see anything. It's just, I, I'm in a chat room. I send a message. It goes to Will. He sends a message. It comes back and it shows up as if it's from Will. So in order to do that, there needed to be an API deep in the matrix spec that would allow what's effectively a fake matrix user to show up in my matrix chat. And that matrix, that fake matrix user is hooked up to this bridge system, which is then hooked up to Will's, to, to my WhatsApp account and send a message and sends a message to Will. And I imagine uh, I there's something on the other end of things as well that's uh, sort of uh, masquerading as a real user to the, I guess, the WhatsApp uh, API or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so the, the Matrix guys, they were super smart. They they added this at the beginning because, you know, bridges would be a way for you to still talk to your friends who are stuck on these older chat networks before everyone migrates to the Matrix. So you could start uh, using Matrix and you wouldn't right. have to, you know, wait for all of your friends to upgrade. Yeah, um, it's a way to bootstrap your network effectively. So like, yeah, it's not exactly right. a bootstrap because, you know, in this case, Will, you wouldn't be on Matrix. You're, you're actually still on WhatsApp, but it allows people to start using the app without, you know, full contact list. I see. And then I guess a quick aside, you said earlier that the Matrix network, it stores your messages as well. It's like a distributed store as well. Does it have to sync that with the like messages that it's sending on WhatsApp at all or no? Uh, yeah. So, but it, it, in that case, it's more of a, re a relay. So if I send you a message to a room on matrix that then gets relayed to your to, to your WhatsApp account. The WhatsApp system works the same way. Like we, you know, it doesn't keep like a copy of everything that you sent on WhatsApp separately. I see. It's all I see. included I see. in your matrix history. 
Yeah. So, so I spotted this, this guy on Twitter who had written a WhatsApp bridge for Matrix. I didn't even really know about Matrix at the time, but for some reason I saw it and I downloaded it and, you know, went through the crazy convoluted setup process because at the time, in order to use this bridge, you had to set up a Matrix home server and mm. set up a Matrix client and set up the bridge. There's a lot of kind of moving pieces that needed to happen, but I did it and got through it after messaging this guy and asking for a lot of help and, you know, tips on how to get his software working. He graciously helped me. And his name is Talir. He coincidentally now works at Beeper. Nice. And he, he is, he was, and is the most prolific bridge creator in the matrix world. Partially, I think due to my, my pressuring. So after I, <laughs> I started using the, the WhatsApp bridge, WhatsApp is my primary chat network. Most of my you know, conversations at the time were, were in WhatsApp. And so I, I said, Hey, I'd also, you know, I still have a couple of friends who are on Google talk or Google chat or hangouts or whatever it was called. Could you write a hangouts bridge or a Google, Google chat bridge? He's like, sure. Okay. And so I, 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 I donated some money to him and he created some, up, some open source, some, some other open source bridges. He's also built a telegram bridge, a signal bridge, a Twitter bridge, Instagram bridge, Facebook bridge. Eventually I was building the chat app of uh, my dreams, which is a single app that would let me chat with anyone that I knew. It was all built on top of matrix because at the time matrix was, you know, the most flexible, well, at the time matrix was the system that Talir had decided to build all of his uh, bridges for. And so I wasn't really even chatting with people on matrix. I was using matrix as the kind of server and client to interact with these bridges to other networks. Yeah, actually. So I want to just draw attention to one thing, which, um, it, maybe it's not immediately clear. So there have been like every once in a while on like product hunt or something, these types of chat aggregator apps that you can download to consolidate all your chats, but inevitably they all are like sign into Slack, sign into each of your services. And it's like going to wrap those websites or electron applications or whatever into one window. But what you're talking about is something fundamentally different because it's powered by these matrix bridges. You actually interact in a much more native way. It sounds like you, you don't switch between all these different UIs and things like that. You, you're just using chat in a uniform kind of homogenous way, but it is talking across all these networks. I, I learned something from the web three people recently. And the, the, the difference between those apps that you're describing that just open Slack in another Chrome tab and kind of have all the tabs lined up for you is that they're just, you know, another, it's like a browser for messaging. Beeper, on the other hand, actually ingests all of your messages and stores them in an encrypted database. This allows us to build a different interface on top of this data store. And so in the kind of web three analogy, you have your, you have your blockchain and you have your wallet, and those can be completely independent separate because there's this clearly defined API between the data store and the client. Same thing with matrix and beeper. So we use the standard matrix um, server implementation, which is called Synapse. And we store all of your data, all of, you know, users data inside this, this encrypted end-to-end uh, -end encrypted data store. So all of your messages from WhatsApp and Facebook and everything are actually copied and pasted into this database. And then our client, which also implements the matrix specification interacts with this data store. And our interface is a unified, a uni unified inbox. That just happens to pull from all of your chat networks, all of your past history, rather than just chat history from one um, particular network. And this stands in opposition to how, say, WhatsApp works. So WhatsApp is the protocol, but it's also the client. And there's a one-to-one -one mapping between those. There's no way today, outside of Beeper, to use non-WhatsApp client to interact with the WhatsApp service. You have to use the WhatsApp client in order to interact with the WhatsApp service. And that means... No one can really experiment and dream of a better, a different or better interface for WhatsApp messaging because they're kind of intrinsically linked. And so with the power of matrix and it's really solid set of APIs, we can start to separate those. We can separate the, the client interface from the underlying data store. Interesting. I'm also curious about the identity layer and how that plays into all of this. So we mentioned email a little earlier, and I think one of the reasons why email has maintained some amount of independence like platform independence is that people have this multifaceted email identity. They have their personal email, they have their corporate email, their EDU email, and people use them for different purposes and things like that. Is there a similar identity layer that's part of the matrix protocol? Absolutely. So in the kind of matrix world, the analogy to running your own email server and having your own, you know, domain is to run your own matrix home server. And so the, the, the identification system matrix is pretty similar to email. You have your user part and you have your, your local part and you have your server part. So in Beeper's case, 
my matrix, my matrix identity is at Eric on the beeper.com server. Got it. And so if I have that, that handle, basically I can plug it into whatever client I'm using and I'm connected to my own home server or whatever, and it will just talk to you. Yes, exactly. You can route as long as your server is federating and connected to the global matrix network, then you can send me a message. Interesting. Okay. So that's cool. And uh, I, I'm curious also, is is it portable? Like, let's say that I start off using Beeper or okay, I start off using something else and then I want to come to Beeper. Let's say, can I bring my history or my mailbox with me? Yeah. You could bring it in the same way that you can bring email from, say, Gmail to Yahoo. Like you can bring your history. Like, for, for example, you can download your Gmail history and import it into Thunderbird, for example, and have your you know past history available after you switch to a new client. But in the same way that you can't really bring a Gmail address to Yahoo, you can't port a matrix ID from one home server to another, at least not yet. There is cool. some talk of matrix P2P matrix, peer-to-peer -peer matrix, and that would involve instead of a local part and a server part, you actually just would have a single UUID that you know, is unique to your basically a private key and public key combo. And you would message someone's UUID and there's, you know, some mesh networking layer uses the mesh, the P2P, like lib P2P or something like that. Um, I don't fully understand it, but the matrix folks are working on, on this peer to peer matrix standard. And in that case, it would look a lot closer to you owning your own entire handle and you wouldn't rely on, you know, a, a, a server component to, to route messages. Got it. And so right now, Beeper is providing the service of a unified chat client for talking to all of your platforms. And then is the end game that eventually enough people are just going to start becoming matrix native that it's going to become a you know matrix dominant chat ecosystem? Or do you foresee for the future, for the foreseeable future, that there's still going to be you know a, a lot of fragmentation and people are still going to be talking across all these different protocols? I would love for there not to be fragmentation as a user, but I can't really imagine a near future where that's going to happen. There are so many different chat apps these days. Each country has their own kind of, you know, headline chat app within certain groups and certain communities. They have different chat networks and chat apps. It seems hard to imagine a unification, unified world in the short term. So I think, you know, Beeper serves a purpose to, to let you have a cleaner, simpler interface to all of these different networks. But I, th I think, you know, looking, thinking back to the XKCD comic, you know, the one that I'm thinking of where there's all these groups of yeah. chats and he's kind of draws like a, a dotted line around all these groups. We didn't want to be part of the problem. We didn't want to, or I, this is another XKCD, like, oh, there's 10, there's 10 protocols. Uh, let's create an 11th, let's create a new protocol that integrates all the other protocols. And now we have 11 protocols. So we didn't, uh, yeah. we didn't want to be part of the problem. We didn't want to create yet another, like Beeper specifically, we didn't want to create yet another chat system, which is what, you know a major reason why we decided to build Beeper on top of the Matrix specification. Um, because Matrix is here. It's great. It, it supports pretty much everything that you would want to support in in chat, and it's open, and other and it's federated, and, and other people can connect into the Matrix network. And in the long game, if more people use Matrix, then, you know, we're, we're not contributing to the, to the global problem of creating yet another crazy new chat network. So, so then uh, I guess the, this is the long thread connecting back to the original question, which was like, why would people use matrix? Like, it sounds like it was that the, uh, when you're able to split the protocol off from the client, then you can do a lot more experimentation with that. And so are, are there experiments that Beeper is trying on the matrix network that, that you guys have been toying around with or that you've already delivered? Yeah, but there's a couple of problems that we are working on right now. I can kind of group them into a couple buckets. One is around the feeling of being overwhelmed by messaging that oh, people yeah, tell yeah, us yeah. about. Um, yeah, like I, on Twitter, like somebody else was asking about, like, is there something to aggregate all my Slack threads so that like I can see it all in one place? I'm like, so you want like an email inbox? Like that's what you're looking for? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like we've given up on one terror and introduced something else. Like email was crazy and, and impossible and high, high, uh, low signal to noise. And so we all left and we embraced chat right, because right. it was high signal to noise because all the crap was still stuck on email. Well, obviously, a couple of years later, we now have tons and tons of people messaging each other on, on chat. And what was a nice, calm, collected, simple world is now crazy with both networks as well as machine-based messaging that happens on chat, automated yeah. messaging, ads, spam, group chats, annoying people in group chats. So one of the major things that we're working on building at Beeper is tools that can make you feel like you're in control of messaging. 
And same, I mean, this is basically what's happened in the email world over the last 15 years. Since Gmail introduced, was it was introduced to, along with an API and a very hackable interface layer, people have been creating apps that integrated in with Gmail. Things like Sanebox, you know, back in the day, I used Sanebox mm -hmm. to kind of manage my email. Streak was in our batch of YC, right? Oh, Building okay. a kind of yeah. CRM built right into your email. And Gmail became a platform, an operating system. Now every single business app that comes out of YC, you know, integrates with Gmail. Well, your company, you know, uh, built um, a calendaring app, presumably integrated with Google Calendar at Gmail as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, don't don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> but where, where I'm going with this is, chat has never had this. There's never been an interface that, or sorry, an API that you could build on top of chat. You had to rely on the platform owner to build everything that you could have ever wanted, say on WhatsApp or on iMessage or on yeah. Signal. Right, right. And, and so that, that comparison with email makes a lot of sense because like when it comes to email, whenever, whenever I've talked to people that have worked on email, they've talked about how there's kind of that Pareto principle where, you know, everybody feels like their workflow is the one workflow. And so if you try to change anything, it like obliterates, like say like the, the last 20% of people's workflow and they're like the, the loudest ones too. And so in that way, like what you can do is provide that API so that people can customize their workflow in email. And so if we were to draw that comparison, especially now that people are doing their work in chat, I imagine that there's that similar comparison there where people can customize their workflow for like a work-related chat inbox sort of thing. And I don't even think it's only work-related though. I think that just as humans who are social beings and spend a lot of our time communicating with each other, we are all in need of. Right, right, right. I, I guess I was thinking more in terms of like the the recent topic of like Slack people being overwhelmed and stuff. But definitely oh, like yeah. for people that are like using Discord for gaming, like they, I know the people on the Overwatch Discord, they use bots to be able to like group people together to go like go go play competitive matches together so that you forget can, gaming. You know, I, I, yeah. I would say if you if you follow Web three, every Web three project <laughs> is now based in Discord, and so if you're an active contributor to the Web3 ecosystem, you're probably on like 10 different discords and it's, it's a known yeah. problem that nobody's able to catch up on, on all of the, all of the spam or all of the, the deluge of messages. Yeah, so that's this true is, cause yeah. So this is exactly what we're working on. And mm -hmm. we had to build this infrastructure first that would connect to each of the chat networks because we needed a complete picture of your messaging world in order to make it like, you know, in order to, in order to make your life more sane, we had to make it more, we had to get everything into one kind of database so that you could build an interface that truly captured and, and consumed and processed and displayed all of the important things in your life. Oh, then I guess it's, it's a uh, portable in a sense, like whatever extra plugin or something that you build for matrix, it's, it can be applied across the board, uh, across, across different networks so that well, you can keep it's that applied in beeper and Right. Like, for example, a channel in Discord is almost identical to a channel in Slack, which is almost identical to a group chat in WhatsApp. Like, th there are certain primitives in chat that are consistent across all networks. Yeah. Message, attachments, replies, emoji reactions, threads, they're pretty basic stuff. And Beeper kind of abstracts that or, or like abstracts those the, the network specific implementation and stores everything in a database that the interface can connect. So then what about these X well so if everybody in the matrix network is building these the plugins or like experimenting with like the APIs and stuff, like how do you not get fragmentation like you did with other networks? Like how do you get people to coalesce? Because I guess I, I'm I didn't read the signal founders argument, but I'm guessing that's one of it. Like when you have a lot of people doing experimentation you just get a lot of proliferation of different things. And then, you know, people are excited at first, like in the Node.js community, and then they start complaining like, oh, like you pull in one NPM module and a whole bunch of stuff come with it, or there's a proliferation of front end frameworks. I don't know which one to pick, so on and so forth. So then how do you not like, how do you keep well, let's, things from let's, let's look at the Gmail example. Yeah. So email is an open standard, but Gmail is 60% of the market, right? Yeah. Most people have a Gmail account. And most messages are sent to and from at least one person on Gmail. So it's kind of, you know, to a certain degree, the way that Google goes, so goes Google, so goes Gmail, so goes email. And they are, you know, closer to the Moxie kind of vision than a purely independent and, and, and very bifurcated kind of open standard. And I think, you know, Google, I, I like Google. I think that they, you know, make good trade-offs in order to nurture their own corporate interest, as well as, you know, a broader kind of internet, a positive internet world. The most, that is the most 
positive and forgiving take of, of Gmail's relation to standards I've ever heard. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I think I think like email is 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 kind of cool. Like you could run your own server, your own email domain, and have it pointed at Gmail. And if Gmail loses your favor, you could move that to another email client, you know, network. And yeah. some people do, you know, they, they move because they have you know certain you know things that they're optimizing for. But a hell of a lot of people stay on Gmail. And I don't think it's only because they're locked into their Gmail accounts. I think it's because Gmail builds a really darn good service. And part of the thing that they did really well was they embraced the open API nature of email so that other services like Superhuman and Calendar and all these other things are built on top of it, which creates this like incentive for you know staying on the on the platform. I look at chat in somewhat of a similar way. Beeper is a private we're a venture-backed, you know, for-profit enterprise, but we're building on top of an open source, open protocol. I kind of think about it as building building a product with a gun to our head. Like we have to make the product the best chat app in the world because if we don't, people can just leave. And there's not as much risk to leaving Beeper as say leaving WhatsApp. Because if you leave Beeper, you can still message friends who are on Beeper. There's no harm done. Like we'll federate and we'll be part of this global matrix network. And you'll still be able to send at Eric on Beeper a message even if you yourself no longer have a Beeper account. Same thing with Gmail. Like if you get pissed at Gmail, leave Gmail, you can still send messages to people who are on Gmail. They're not gonna block you out of spite just because you use What's it called? The that's the Swiss privacy email. Fast BitTorrent. Yeah, or or yeah, exactly. And so that's mm -hmm. that. I think is going to be the relationship that Beeper will have to the the Matrix network. I think that we will be a massive, a large player in the Matrix world. And in terms of implementing spec features, like we're going to decide what we want to implement for Beeper users. Other other Matrix users can decide whether they like we're going to publish them. We're going to you know publish specs and be part of like a positive player in the open source Matrix community. But for example, we're not going to wait for the matrix spec to come through. Like if we think we have uh, made a better decision or we have a feature that we want to add to the spec, we're going to add it, publish it open source so other people can embrace it if they want. But our mission is mostly to build the best damn chat app in the world. And so we'll do whatever it takes to get there. So so a little bit of it sounds like the way that other, I guess, standard ecosystems do it. Like somebody comes up with an implementation and then if it's, if it's good like a, a spec along with an implementation, if, as, if it's any good, then other people will, will adopt it and it becomes an actual standard then. The biggest difference in our case is that we federate. So unlike Signal, mm -hmm. where if you don't no longer agree or, or, or want to be part of the Signal network, you, you can't, you have to use Signal in order to be part of the Signal network. And so for the first time with Beeper, we're okay with that. We're okay being part of this global network. Yeah, and I think yeah, we I... can do that because we're the smallest player in chat right now. So we can afford to have this like crazy proposition where we say, we're going to do what no one else in the world is doing. And you know, it's just up to like, we're, we're building, and that's what I kind of go back to the analogy of building with a gun to our head, because we can, we, it's easy for us to make that call now. And since it's built into the core of how Beaver works, it'll be very difficult, if not practically impossible for us to walk that decision back in the future. That's cool. I, I think that, you know, this is, this is a really interesting vision of what chat can be. And I think this is a good time to sort of transition to, like, imagining what the world will be like in a couple of years time. Let's say that there's good uptake with Beeper and uh, the Matrix ecosystem is is healthy and there's healthy competition. What do you think that the, the world will look like? And maybe we can start from one specific angle, which is that what what kind of businesses and business models are going to be, you know, flourishing in, in, in a world where chat is federated and open? Yeah. So basically assume that like the world that you wanted is, is already like already exists, that chat is federated. Like what are the second, third order effects or like what 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 would people be able to do as a result of matrix flourishing and and the chat ecosystem being federated the first thing that I'll, i already do today as a beeper user and then not like what is the william gibson quote like the future is here it's just not evenly distributed let yeah. me describe to you the beautiful future that you will have in a relatively <laughs> short period of time i have a single search box that i can type anyone's name into and instantly start chatting with them regardless of which network they're on and that, that alone is one of the things that I love the most about Beeper. You never have to think, like most of the time when you look down at your phone and you're like, I need, to, I, need to get, I need to get a hold of someone. You run this mental kind of lookup table where you are matching a person's name against a kind of rough, fuzzy database in your head that, that says, oh, the last time that I talked to Will, it was on Signal, I think. Let me go into Signal and chat. Oh, no, I was wrong. It's actually on Telegram. Or you have five different chats with the same person and you're not sure where you exchange you know, the URL to this podcast recording thing. I had to go and check. It was actually to my work email or something like that. So I have a universal search box. I can type anyone's name in. And shortly, we're, we're working on this. We're actually going to be pulling in all of your chat history, if you choose, across all of the networks. 
encrypting it with your private key so that it's it's end-to-end -end encrypted and making it searchable locally on your client. So you could actually search your entire chat history of your entire life if you wanted to through Beeper. Actually, what you're describing actually sounds more like a personal CRM, actually. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like that. And so, so I, I think one of the things that I had difficulty with all the time was just remembering what the hell I talked with somebody about like the last time I saw them. And it's not just being an adult where you like see each other every four months if you're lucky, right? And so like I would mix people's kids' names up with like other people's kids' names. And so like, and having that extra step of trying to figure out like where I saw this information, like is it on this network versus that network and the person's name made it too much of an onerous task to like actually go and look for it. But if it's on a single search box and all I have to know is a person's name, then it effectively works really well as a personal CRM so that you wouldn't seem like such an asshole like this guy, like me, like calling your kid's name Dave when it was like some other like coworkers uh, kid's name or something like that. that. So that's effectively like one aspect of what you're talking about. Like it's not just the single search box for a person, but like it enables you to, I guess in, in some people's terms, have a second brain, but like this is more of a social brain rather than, than like a thinking brain. Uh, that's what you're getting at? Like that's the future we can look forward to? Exactly, yeah. and. It, it does feel wonderful. I will, I will tell you that. It, it, it's also interesting because it ties into some of the themes that we talk about in our previous episodes about end user programming or more generally giving agency to the user with respect to how they interact with computing. So because if you think about how you use chat services now, you basically have to adapt yourself to the shape that the chat clients want you to interact with them. So Instagram or, or, or WhatsApp imposes certain expectations of how that protocol is used. And, and every single protocol has their own expectations. And you sort of have to mold yourself to that. Whereas in this feature that you're talking about, actually, you kind of own your data. You own your identity. You're able to have that be portable, have that be indexable, and maybe even have other alternative views, UIs, helper tools that help you manage all that data rather than you being sort of subject to the whims of whatever the developers at Facebook are, are going to do. I'm looking forward to the hackable messaging world of the future. Yeah. And and I'm curious, do you think that the from a business model perspective, do you think that the way that this ecosystem is going to go is kind of following the email client superhuman route where there are different email clients that are suited for particular profiles of users, particular demographics of users, and the the way that in which they interact with that protocol? Like, do you imagine that there are going to be lots and lots of matrix Maybe. clients? I, I think, absolutely, I think there will be, and there already are dozens of different matrix clients that have slightly different, you know, purposes in life. Most of them are today uh, tech, tech demos, mostly people implementing the matrix spec in Rust and in C++ and in Flutter and Dart and all these different languages. But I think there will be many different ways, like almost like a, a cornucopia of different, an explosion of different ways that you can visualize your chat messaging. They're all like on Hacker News, every, every couple of weeks, there's a new app that's built on top of Matrix. Like there was a CD, CRDT Matrix implementation a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. There was a DeviantArt on Matrix. There was a Discord built on, Discord kind of clone built on Matrix. It's a very, it's a very flexible specification. I think Matthew, the, the founder of Matrix, has likened matrix more closely to a distributed federated database than a chat wait how does the deviant thing deviant art works is, is it that the, the comments on the forum get routed through matrix to your client and so you can see replies no, basically like they're using the matrix server as the, the back-end infrastructure for their own front end that looks more like i actually am not sure it was a deviant art clone it, it was some sort of like web two-ish you know social you know social app I see. And I guess I was wondering, was it more like a chat thing or was it more like a forum thing? No, it's a forum. Like, so it's like web page. Oh, based. I see. Like when, okay. you're, when you load a web page, it was actually loaded with data from a matrix server in the back. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Okay. I see. It kind of sounds like what people wanted Twitter to be back in the early 2010s, where people were imagining that eventually Twitter would be this like backbone that would uh, be the messaging layer or plumbing layer that would support all kinds of different UIs yeah. and different yeah. things. And then, of course, Twitter took it in a very different direction. And I think there was like another YC-backed company, app.net, which was trying no, to do that and didn't work quite yeah, well. Yeah, that's but... Dalton. Like, he's a partner now, I think, right? Yeah, he yeah. He, he and I worked closely at YC, and we've talked a lot about it. Oh, I see. He probably has the appropriate battle scars to, to be <laughs> able to tell you the ins and outs of that. Because definitely I bought into the vision that he set out as well. But I don't know, I guess it was... 
Well, I guess any number of things from timing to, I don't know. Yeah. So, so I, I guess that's for a, a whole nother episode and whatnot, where we talk about like tw Twitter type of like why, why it wouldn't work. But then that also does lead me into like, are there other applications besides chat that you can put on top of matrix? Like, could you have Twitter clones on matrix? It yep. sounds like you can, because like, I, I'm, I get the sense that reading through the docs for matrix that you can put most any kind of data on there, not just messages. Is that correct? You can put basic, like, if you think about it as this federated decentralized database that has, um, like a real-time messaging component for updating the database, anything that you can store in a database could theoretically be distributed and synchronized across clients. So the matrix core team is looking at the metaverse and VR and how matrix could power open standards for VR rather than, you know, the Facebook metaverse, which is presumably right. going to be just Facebook and Facebook alone. So, so they're kind of trying to position it as the, uh, the open standard. Yeah, one of well, you remember Eflow, right? Like he's he's working in uh, VR for a little while. Eflow was uh, one of our batchmates, and one of his common laments about VR was just the closed ecosystems and how ideally you would be able to take the objects that you buy in one metaverse and be able to yeah. take it with you into another. And so presumably you could do that with Matrix. You should get Darshan on here. He's, he's running a, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> joining a VR company. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Like it, it would be good to talk to him about that too. And, and so, so I guess the, the other thing I was thinking then was that if you can have any kind of data on there, you could presumably have something like, like for e-commerce backends, inventory management to sync the, <laughs> to, to sync the, the amounts. Or well, not the shopping carts. So, so the reason why I'm thinking about this is because when I was at Pebble, I was on the e-commerce team and though we did like, we weren't so big that we had like tons and tons of different third-party logistics providers. Like I, I do know that like for other places where you do have inventory held in a couple different places, they have problems syncing their inventory accounts for a variety of different reasons. And so presumably you could have different home servers located in different parts of the country or different parts of the world and then use Matrix to sync those numbers. Uh, I mean, like I'm just kind of pulling this out of the air, but presumably you could do something like that in Matrix. I think this is actually, this gets to kind of one of the potential negative points about matrix, which is it is infinitely flexible. And so that to its, to, to a, to a fault, like mm. there are many different things that people are building using matrix these days. And it's a little bit scary to think that they're all kind of being built on top of the same flexible infrastructure. It means that, you know, the, the infrastructure risk being not perfect for like any one particular right. thing. So uh -huh. we at Beeper are incredibly focused, narrowly focused on chat. And we've tailored all of the things that we've worked on to kind of directly be chat related. But at the same time, there are many people in Hacker News that are exploring the uh, the wilder prospects with Matrix. Yeah, I, I, I think that, and so what you're saying is that you, you do see people trying out all sorts of things, whether they oh, yeah. actually work or not. That's that's to be seen, I guess. So, that's true. But, but then, yeah, like, I, I guess I'm just kind of pontificating based on kind of like, oh, if like Federated Chat was healthy and everybody used it and stuff, like what would people use, like, use it for? That That's kind of one of the things that came to mind. Is it much easier to create chatbots on Matrix compared to some of the other platforms? Oh yeah, there's a framework that Tolir, one of the people who I work with, created called Nowbot, and it's so easy that even I have created a chatbot on Matrix. And <laughs> as you well remember, I am no amazing programmer. <laughs> you are a programmer, so that that's something. <laughs> so then, if that's the case, like, I guess what comes to mind immediately? Well, on the matrix fact you they were able to implement e eliza or one of the chatbots from like the early what 1960s and then put it on matrix <laughs> so that you can you can talk to it so that in itself is is pretty interesting it's but, kind of like uh, slack bots like you remember how easy it is yeah. to build a slack bot it's yeah. kind of like that but imagine a slack bot that can participate in any chat you have we gotta get gpt3 plugged up into yeah this. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's already been done yeah okay <laughs> Yeah. What do you see people doing with GPT-3? Is it just more kind of as a tech demo or are there like serious yeah, so. uses? Okay. I, I don't so. know if anyone's built like an autoresponder that will mimic my words on Matrix yet, but someone should. And yeah, actually we, that's, well, uh, so real quick, we, we talked about in the very first episode of Technium where you, you would, you could possibly record, what do you call it? Use somebody's email history to get them in an embedding space and then be able to talk to them again, whether they're alive or dead. And so you could embody, say, Shri as a chatbot, and then yeah. uh, long after he passes, still be able to ask him questions on the Technium. I, I like here, here's a crazy kind of long vision for for chat. I think that 
chat is one of the most natural human interfaces we have. And when I think about AI and virtual consciousnesses, I think that the most likely way that we'll inter interact with them is through chat. I already have five Google homes in my house that I use to control various parts of my house and I interact with them by talking to them. And you can imagine that that's kind of like a chat, <laughs> a very, very controlling chat relationship that I have with my Google assistants. But in the future where AI and, and virtual, you know, consciousnesses are more, well, <laughs> kind of more thought out, more, more fully featured, I imagine, you know, a much, a, a very interesting potential conversation that I might have with them. And the underlying infrastructure would probably look a lot like chat. Is there a bridge between Google Home and Matrix? Not yet, but that actually, okay. it's crazy that I hadn't actually thought of that, but that actually would be really cool. I could like just send a message to my home. That sounds, I'm putting yeah. that on a list. That, that's on the list. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Like here's where we generate all sorts of ideas for you to implement. <laughs> so maybe down. one day we could be like the Randall Monroe where we have some crazy idea and somebody out there just implements it. And so it's, it's going to be the world's best programming language where we just talk about things and somebody else just implements them. <laughs> That's basically PG's life, right? He would just give us ideas and then, he, and then companies would form and right, build right. things that he... <laughs> exactly. As somebody who works in the search space, one of the things that really intrigued me about chat is going back to the the Web3 and people being part of tons of discords and things like that. The, the problem that everybody has with this is that nobody can find anything. Like nobody knows in, you know, this DAO, where did we make this decision? Because it was made by a bunch of people talking on Discord at midnight and things like that. And I, I think that you know, having these bridges and open protocols and maybe bots that are able to observe the messages and then index them and make them searchable, it would be really cool to, to be able to just ask a you know, search bot, you know, some natural language question. Like, when did we talk about this thing with this such and such person? Or when did we make this decision regarding this topic? And then it would be able to pull from wherever those discussions were made, whether they were made in DMs, whether they were made in some Discord chat, the the relevant uh, data, and just be able to show you the messages. And attach it to your GitHub repo so that when you hit git blame, you can see the exact place where people decide to make this terrible decision. <laughs> yeah. So so when, when you said, like, in, in terms of search, like you envision that search would be like, it would be able to reach into matrix to be able to index, index this sort of stuff itself, right? Yeah. And the way that our search is, is implemented right now is it's all client side because all of your messages on Beeper are end-to-end encrypted. So only you can read your messages. The flip side of that is we can't index it on the server. Mm. So mm. actually indexes it all locally on your client and then encrypts it, the index and syncs it over to your other clients. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. but. Most people's chat don't grow by leaps and bounds, so you should be able to fit that all on, on a client, they, right? They or... do if you're part of 10 stupid crypto oh. discords. <laughs> right, 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 right. And everybody's posting like gigantic GIF memes and yeah, stuff so like it, that. So it's a bit yeah, of a hairy yeah. problem. We haven't uh, really uh, cracked that one yet. I see. I take it back. So yeah, I mean, I think you know we always like to sort of end on what do you think is a gap between that future that we talked about and now? Like what, what remains to be done in order to get to that future where Matrix is a thriving ecosystem? sounds like a, a YC interview question. <laughs> we got money at the end of this interview yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah, a surprise. So I'm thinking about this in, in two or three different ways. And one is the infrastructure. Like what we have today is super high in general. There's no true interoperability between these networks. So in Beeper's case, in order to get access to all of these different networks, you have to have an account on each of these services. Most people are not going to want or need to have 10 or 15 different accounts. You want to have one account and have that account interoperate just like Gmail with all of the other email, you know, chat providers. So I think one important thing that, you know, we need to work on is supporting open standards for chat. And we're actually working with several politicians in DC to push legislation forward that would mandate that networks open up their standards so that they aren't these siloed, closed off. And so that, that I think is a critical, that's on the critical path in order for us to have this future. You know, I, I don't think that everyone's going to be on Matrix. There are going to be other chat networks out there, and there needs to be some degree of interoperability between them. That's a major one. And then I think people need to start imagining what a better chat experience could look like. Up until now, over the last 10 years, we've been told what chat, how to use chat and, and what chat should look like. And you know, if you look at iMessage and WhatsApp, they are pretty boring. They are list, list views, and that's about it. Where's the... Where's the fun? Where's the excitement? Where's the 
casualness of hanging out online? Where's the not taking yourself too seriously? I think Discord does a great job at this, but that's only one single chat network. I'd love to hear, I'd love to see what people think. You know, if, again, if you, if you split the, the infrastructure and the, and the data kind of the, the yeah. database from the interface, like what can, what can people dream of? Yeah, because you... like AIM status messages and those wacky like profile pictures back. Yeah, you have to, like... yeah, just a, a lot of the experiments on like mobile like hangouts. There's like house party or whatever. Like different ways that messaging could have been done. Like a lot of them died to death. I don't know if it's because the interaction sucked or they just didn't have the network. And so if you can kind of get that network with people that are already on Matrix to try out your stuff, then then you could actually rule that out as as one of the factors that killed your thing. You know for sure that it's your product. Cool. Yeah. So it sounds like there is a pretty clear, compelling reason for Matrix to exist and actually like a pretty reasonable way to get there. And part of part of that is actually that you and, and the rest of the Beeper team are, are trying to advance that, that vision of the future. So it's like, we, we talk a lot about very future-looking technologies on this podcast, but this sounds like it's very much within the realm of possibility. Like, we can get to this in like two, three, four years or something like that. That's the plan. I think we have our work cut out for us. Like, we know what the challenges are. But there's a payoff if we can get Cool. Well, great. So yeah, we, we covered a lot of ground. It's been like really interesting to, to hear about not only... Uh, Matrix, but but your work with Beeper, as well as just reminiscing about the different eras uh, of chat with you. So thanks so much for for joining us today. Yeah, and so how are you feeling with your optimism, Sri? I think that this is the most attainable future that we've discussed yet. Like I said, I think like very very optimistic. If it doesn't happen, I'll be surprised. I'd say. Yeah, no, I think the 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 type of possibilities that you have with Matrix kind of expand when you realize that oh okay there's the separation between client protocol like i can kind of get in there and do this experimentation that that gets me excited as an engineer and, and as a builder and so our listeners should also be excited about that too so i'm pretty optimistic yeah and i want to thank eric for getting on this podcast and chit-chatting with us about what is basically what is matrix and where it has to go and how we might get there so for those subscribers Subscribe, share, comment, and uh, we'll have more for you in season three of the Technium. And so with that, this is Will. Shri. And Eric. (laughs) Signing off. We'll see you later. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.